Welcome to the Kid Men Podcast with Dr. Val and Dr. Virginia, where we talk about everything Kid Men. And pull back the curtain on some of the surprises and challenges in children's ministry that nobody prepares you for. I'm Dr. Val, and together we have over 45 years of experience in children's ministry. I'm Dr. Virginia. Valerie and I met over 10 years ago in our doctoral program at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We are excited to share with you all the great stuff that we have picked up over the years. We want to minister to you, the children's minister. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much for joining us today. Dr. Virginia and I are really excited about our topic for today. Yes. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the future of children's ministry. Um, now I want to put a disclaimer out there that like Amos, I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Um, <laughs> but I've been listening to so many podcasts and just reading different things online, talking about the state of our culture today, the state of the church today. And so the more I've just sort of been listening and taking in all this information, I'm like, you know, I really would love for us to talk about this related to children's ministry and from a children's ministry perspective um, about, you know, what we think is happening in our culture, in our churches, demographic changes that we're seeing um, and how that affects us in children's ministry as we minister to children and families. I think it's just really vitally important that we pay attention to these trends and to these changes and to what's happening around us, because in church ministry in general, we tend to get kind of locked into this is the way we've always done mm -hmm. things. And so this is the way we always have to. Right. And it sort of becomes, you know, you hear people, you know, make that joke about, well, that's how Jesus did it in the Bible or, or something like that. But it's <laughs> right, that right. like we have these misconceptions mm -hmm. of what we think has to happen in church because it's traditionally happened that way. And I think that one of the things that we see in the word is that Jesus did see the culture of the times that he was living mm -hmm. in and what was happening. And he used that so much around the way that he taught and how he shared. And so I think it's really important for us to look at the culture around us and what's happening so that we can better minister to our families. Yes, exactly. And we're going to start out very broadly talking about um, our culture today here in America, here in the West. Um, and then we're going to more specifically talk about the church today here in the U.S. and then even drill down even more specifically about kids and um, trends and statistics that we're seeing about kids today. And so we're going to start broad and then drill down narrower and narrower um, and talk about how what that means for us in children's ministry. Great. Starting out with just discussing our culture as a whole, and I think we can see this and agree about this, that, um, you know, our culture is becoming increasingly secularized, um, whereas once a generation or two ago, maybe there was more common knowledge of um, the Bible mm -hmm. and, you know, what was in it, Bible stories, um, that is certainly fading or has faded away. Um, you know, a term that you hear like sociologists and people use is like post-Christian. Um, and we shouldn't be afraid of that term. No. Um, it doesn't mean that Christianity is going away. Um, but we, we do have to recognize that this sort of background knowledge of the Bible, this sort of Christianized perspective mm -hmm. is not necessarily the dominant 
um, knowledge base for our culture and for our society anymore. Right. right. Um, you know, and then I also think about the early church. I mean, they, <laughs> the, the early church flourished in a culture and a society that was actively persecuting them. Right. Um, and that's because of the Holy Spirit, you know, God through the power of the Holy Spirit can enable our churches to flourish as well even in a society that, you know, doesn't know anything about Christianity. Right. Um, and so that's not, you know, that's not about us. That's about the power and the work of God. Right. And so we just kind of need to be aware and understanding of what's going on. Oh, for sure. And I think it's always funny because, I, you know, you hear people say, oh, things have never been as bad as they are now. But I can just remember like when I, I I took a trip to Italy one time where we went to Pompeii and you could mm -hmm. see the murals of what was happening in the culture there during that time. And you really realize that there have been times in history where things have been really bad. Mm -hmm. But the power yeah. of the Holy Spirit, like you said, the word of God is true and it remains true through no matter what we're facing. And it's and it's survived and it continues to continue no matter yes. what is happening around us. We have to have faith in God's sovereignty and his plan. Yes, absolutely. And just like what you're saying, there are so many places in the world in the U.S. today who are, you know, fully into this post-Christian culture, places in Europe, you know, places here in North America as well. Um and one thing um, that I really loved, and so, and we're going to have a bunch of links in our notes. Um, and so there was, we, we talked about the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, which is one of my favorites. Um, he had a great interview with Tim Keller prior to his passing. Um, and so, of course, Tim Keller planted Redeemer Church in New York City. And so yeah. he was sort of living in like the cusp of this, yeah. you know, post-Christian culture. Um and so, you know, one of the things that he was talking about in this episode is about how, you know, historically, or I guess maybe in recent decades is probably what I should say, um, people were taught to do evangelism by like, okay, well, everyone knows that you should be a good person, right? Like everyone knows you should be a good person. You should want to go to heaven. And so evangelism is just like connecting those dots for people and showing them that Jesus is the way. Right. And then, cause even whenever I was like a teenager, whenever I was in seminary, you know, 15, 20 years ago, right. um, this was how I was taught to do evangelism. Mm -hmm. And even then I kind of had this sense that like, I don't feel like this really like connects with people yeah. like how it once did, but mm -hmm. I didn't understand the culture to know what people were looking for, what people needed. Mm -hmm. But I liked it because, you know, in that interview, Tim said, like, the dots are gone mm -hmm. because that's not the predominant desire of people anymore. The predominant desire isn't to be a good person and go to heaven. Mm -hmm. That's not the predominant value of our culture anymore. Right. And so I thought that um, was just such a salient observation um, for our culture today. I, I think that that's really spot on. I, I was recently rereading a book that Jana Magruder wrote uh, called Nothing Less. And in that book, there was a quote from Scott McConnell that just really kind of reminded me of something that I try to focus on 
so much in ministry with kids. And, and one of the things that he says is that we too often see an emphasis on guiding children to a social morality and toward an as yet undefined happy life. If you, you know, ask parents today, typically, what do you hope for your children? The majority of them are going to say, I want my child to be happy. Like Mm -hmm. that, that is sort of like this, this undefined kind of, I want them to be good people and I want them to be happy. But, you know, one of the things that we have to remember is that the, the truth of God's word never changes. Mm-hmm. And what the world sees as happy is not the same thing as having joy in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be really careful about how we are teaching our children, because often mm-hmm. in Bible study, in Sunday school, in our children's ministry programs, we are really sometimes just focusing on social morality as opposed to really teaching them the truth of God's word. And so, um, you know, David Platt said that many Christians have replaced the calling of being a Christian with the magneticism of the American dream. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the goal of the American dream is to make much of us, but the goal of the gospel is to make much of God. And mm-hmm. so I think it's really focusing in on what is the important truths that we need to be teaching as opposed to this sort of social morality that's become the norm in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and whenever you look at our culture today about, you know, what is the greatest value? What are people's greatest desires? You know, it, it's sort of morphed into this, you know, we well, need to be true to yourself. You need to create your own identity. Um, But I'm actually going to read a quote from Tim Keller from this interview because I thought it was just so good and so poignant because he talks about in this whole, you know, people's desire to create themselves and create their own identity. He says, Christianity is the only identity that is received, not achieved. If you say I can create myself, that is a lot of pressure And you see it online, you see people, they come up with an identity and then they just scream at each other, (laughs) his words. And then Tim goes on to say, I said, Christianity is the one identity that's received. Or it's the fact that because of what Jesus Christ did, Jesus Christ is actually a person who lost his glory and his power and his privilege and came and died on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our inhumanity to God and to each other. In other words, he took the penalty. And because of that, when I believe in him, I can know that God loves me unconditionally forever. I am righteous in Christ. And that means is the minute I become a Christian, God loves me as perfectly as he will love me five billion years from now when I'm perfect. He loves me that well right now. And what that means is the ups and downs of my performance. And we see that postmodern people say that identity is performative. They say power is performative. They say identity is a role that you play. That's horrible pressure. I say we've got an identity that's received, not achieved, and it doesn't go up and down depending on how well I perform. And so I love that, that in our culture, it says you've got to build yourself up. You've got to figure out who you're going to be. You got to make yourself into that. You got to build yourself into that. And you've got to be that perfectly. Well, Jesus's answer to that is no, come to me. I will give you an identity because I love you. 
you know, come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't have this burden of creating yourself and creating your own identity. And so I, I love that. And that meets our culture where it is, where our culture is seeking and searching. You know, we, we can meet them there with the truth of the gospel that Jesus will give you a complete and whole and eternal identity that you don't have to build, that you can't lose, that is perfect in Christ, not because of us. I love that. I love that so much. And I love that because too, I think sometimes even in church, we push ourselves to try to perform and to try to achieve. And so the idea that we need to spend more time focusing on our identity through Christ I think is something that's really valuable for us to really take time to process and think through. And then, and whenever we, we look at this, exactly what you're saying, like some of the ways that the church is responding to this kind of cultural need that we see one is going back to evangelism, like the three circles form of evangelism, which is something I first heard about maybe 10 years ago from the North American mission board. Right. Um, and we have a link as well to Three Circles Evangelism. <laughs> we have links to like all this stuff, the Gary New episode, all this stuff in the notes. Um, but like the Three Circles form of evangelism, how it, it walks through God's perfect design, the brokenness of our sin and how the gospel meets us in our brokenness mm-hmm. and can restore our relationship with God and can, you know, give us the completion that we're looking for. Right. And so it's just a way of, sharing the gospel to meet our culture where it is today. Um, and so I, I thought that was a great one. Yeah. Um, and we see lots of other ways that the church is sort of adapting to culture. One of the things, a question that I see in children's ministry groups a lot is what do you call VBS? Right. Because in some places people still know kind of what VBS is, Yeah. but in a lot of places, vacation Bible school. What does that even mean? What, what even is that? Right. Um, and so like renaming VBS, right. To better communicate to the people you're reaching out to and ministering to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of churches are asking the question of, well, do we even do a VBS type event? Are there other alternatives that are going to be more appealing and more effective in reaching the kids and the families in our community? Mm-hmm. Um, there are, Various curriculums, Hi-Fi is an example of one that is particularly aimed at reaching kids who don't have a background knowledge of the Bible. You know, that kid who is 10 years old and they're walking into church for the first time because they slept over and spent the night with a friend. Right. Um, And trying to start with these kids who don't have any sort of biblical starting point. Right. And, you know, with the hi-fi curriculum in particular, and no one, you know, no one pays me to say this. This is just me sharing, you know, <laughs> some you know, research of just what's out there. Right. Um, you know, they focus on answering 12 who am I questions, because if identity is the central question of our culture, then this in this curriculum, they are an- taking these questions of who am I? And answering it with biblical and scriptural truth. Right. Um, and also using right. that three circles of evangelism <laughs> to where, you know, even if you really don't have a lot of background knowledge of the Bible, you can still understand 
you know, how God meets us in our brokenness. Right. And then I also see um, a lot of churches and children's ministry leaders wanting to really proactively give parents training and tools on how to teach their children in the faith. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of parents today haven't had child discipleship and family discipleship modeled for them. And so trying to give families tools and practical things that they can do Mm -hmm. to teach their children. Um, because they might be, um, you know, new believers who really don't have a background for this at all, or even people like my age, like millennials, and we'll talk about the generations in a little bit, my age, like millennials who still grew up maybe going to church because that's just sort of the thing that people did, Mm -hmm. but not really having a model or an idea of what discipleship is and what it could be and how that looks in the home. Um, But as children's ministry leaders, just being very proactive to give parents tools and to equip them. All right. And so let's talk about the church itself and demographic changes, um, different trends and changes and things that we are seeing developing um, in the church today. One thing that's really noticeable Um, in our church demographics is that churches in general are aging up. They're getting older with older pastors, older congregations. Mm -hmm. Um, Church leadership pastors are aging up and aging out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's statistical trends of recent years of the past, you know, two, three years continue into 2024 you know, unless there's some major shakeup, right. <laughs> which we've lived through that recently. Yeah. <clears throat> but unless there's some major shakeup, mm-hmm. the average age of senior pastors in 2024 will be 60. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being 60. Not, um, no, there is crazy. nothing wrong because I'm heading there <laughs> faster and faster every year. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord for 60 years of life. <laughs> But we have to look at this reality, which is true for the workforce as a whole, that a very numerous, very large generation of baby boomer pastors are going to be retiring and continue retiring in the coming years. And similarly, 36% of church members, so about a little over a third of our churches, are now over the age of 65. So our just our congregations as a whole um, are trending upward in age. And so I think we need to be taking a hard look and asking ourselves, are we training the next generation to take over the leadership of our churches, of our ministries? Yeah. Are we investing in them? Are we raising them up? Are we encouraging people? So, you know, hey, you know, consider serving in ministry. Hey, consider serving here. Um, You know, are we looking at what's coming down the pipeline and taking it seriously? Right. And we've talked about that before, where we tend to get so singularly focused on our work that we think that we have to do everything and that we have to just focus on what we are doing. But we really need to make sure that we are preparing our ministry mm-hmm. for the next group of leaders and that we are pouring into those leaders that we're taking time to strategically help people grow into positions. And it's easy to kind of think, oh, I don't have time to do that. But it's a necessity for what we're looking at for down the road. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And thankfully, it's not all, you know, scary or ominous news. Um, nationwide millennials, which is my demographic, um, are the largest demographic of weekly and monthly church attendance. So millennials are roughly 27 to 42 years old, sort of depending on who you ask. And so one thing that's going to be maybe difficult for some of our churches is that as our 65-year-old pastors retire, we've got to start looking at hiring 30, 35, 40-year-old pastors to replace them. Um, And so, you know, there are three very practical reasons for hiring a very young pastor whenever your, you know, retirement age pastor retires. Um, One, if we want to reach young families and train up the next generation, the most effective way to do that is to have young leaders at the helm of our churches. And not necessarily only young leaders. There's always a place for seasoned leadership, for wisdom. We want that at all of our tables. Yes, we need that experience. And so Mm -hmm. often we forget that, but we really do. Yeah. Um, But having church leadership with young families is so effective Mm -hmm. to drawing young families to your church and to building strong ministries for children and students. Because if your senior pastor is the parent of a young family, you know, they, one, if I'm visiting this church, I see a pastor who is in the stage of life that I'm in, they get it, they know what it's like to raise kids in a post-COVID technologically saturated world. Right. Um, And then also young pastors are just naturally invested in the next gen ministries in your preschool children and students, because their kids are there. Right. right. So they understand, they they understand it in a different way. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, if you hire a young pastor, then they are of course going to be on board with, you know, having strong ministries to our preschoolers, children and students. Right. And then also, secondly, you want to think about hiring young pastors because statistically, that's just what we've got available. Mm -hmm. Um, Boomers are aging into retirement. Gen X, the next generation, they're a smaller generation. We are. (laughs) Yes, yes. You don't hear about us as often. (laughs) That's right. People forget that you're in there. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, and then, and millennials, actually, my generation has eclipsed the boomers as the largest living adult generation. There are just a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three, you know, whenever you have your beloved pastor who is retiring at 65, mm-hmm. after serving the church for like 30 or 35 years, yeah. think about how old he was whenever he started. Yeah. He was like 30. 35. Mm -hmm. He was a young guy whenever he started. And so, you know, it's, we're cycling into this time of, you know, our our churches need to be very cognizant Mm -hmm. of giving young leaders the opportunity to serve and to step up and to lead. Again, while, while continuing to have, you know, mentors and people in their lives to encourage them and to help them and to give them wisdom, um, but bringing those young leaders on and, you know, not, not being afraid of that. Right. Well, and that's just the thing, you know, when you have parents who have young children, 
that is typically the age where adults do start thinking about going back to church if they've walked away from church or if they have kind of gotten caught up in in college and all of the things that they've been doing and they haven't been as committed to ministry. But typically, once you have children, you're wanting to find the opportunities for those children to grow up in a church like you did, and you're wanting someone to help you train them and to teach them. And so your church is really going to grow, not with your senior adult ministry, which is incredibly important and very vital to your church, but your church is not going to grow with the senior adult ministry. Typically, it's going to grow with a strong children's ministry, looking at those young families coming in and becoming a part of the ministry and getting attached and and getting involved and making it a priority. Mm -hmm. And so some more, you know, practical steps as we, as we look at these sort of demographic changes in our church is just like what you said, training up young leaders, not just millennials, my generation, the 27 to 42, but also Gen Z, Mm -hmm. which is um, our teens, our young adults up to about 26 years old. Um, you know, looking for leadership capability in some of these younger folks, encouraging it, giving them opportunities to serve um, and and showing them what um, ministry leadership could look like. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some statistics from um, ATS, the Association of Theological Schools, that says that um, overall seminary enrollment is going down. Um, and there are lots of ways to be trained for ministry, but just showing young people that vocational ministry is an option, that you mm-hmm. see leadership skills in them, you see leadership capabilities in them, mm-hmm. um, and just sort of introducing this whole avenue to the next generation um, and training them up and preparing them to be the ones to lead. Right. So if you're in an aging church, And you're trying to figure out how to effectively reach young families, because I do feel like I see this question a lot um, in like children's ministry, like on social media and different places, people saying like, okay, you know, we're in a church that's older, but we want to reach young families. What, what can we do? Um, You know, one (laughs) hire a young pastor, which we've already talked all about (laughs) um, for all the reasons we've already mentioned, you know, whenever it does come time for your pastor to retire. Mm-hmm. Look for a young guy, young guy. Um, to be willing to serve and support in your preschool children's student ministry. Right. Um, make the investment of your time and your money to serve in those ministries mm-hmm. because you can't wait for families to come to try to scramble together something for the kids. You want right. to be prayerful and you want to be prepared. Um, because families want to bring kids to a, to a place where they sense that their children are wanted, their children are valued Mm -hmm. and being unprepared for kids does not communicate that they are wanted and valued. No, they are typically not going to give you a second chance if you don't have something available for their children. And one of the things that I used to say when I would meet with staffs and talk about how to bring in young families, how to bring in young children, is that, I, I and, and this was always a little bit controversial and, and they didn't always like that I said this, but I used to kind of remind pastors that if the parents were happy with the children's ministry and their kids were happy in the children's ministry. It kind of didn't matter what happened in the sanctuary <laughs> during worship yes. service 
Yes. Um, you know, they, they might yes. not necessarily love the pastor that much, but yes. if their kids were happy and they really felt that their kids were loved and valued, and there was a lot poured into that ministry, then it, they, they would put up with a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I would say, you know, if you want those young families to come in, primarily they're looking at what you're going to provide for their kids. And we have to be mm -hmm. ready for them when they come not telling them, oh, well, next time when you're here, we'll have this for you since we know you're coming. That just doesn't work. No, no. And and it's got to be, um, I don't, maybe not necessarily a whole church effort, but there's got mm -hmm. to be a certain level of buy-in and commitment yeah. because we've talked about this before, you know, an aging church can't just hire a part-time children's director and say, okay, you do it all. Right. You know, that's where the investment of the time and the money of, you know, leaders in the church right. beyond just one children's ministry leader has got to be present right. um, in order to make a children's ministry function and run. Yeah, um, it has to be a priority. It has mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as such, churches have got to be willing to try something new um, you have to erase, we've always done it this way and we've never done it this way <laughs> from your has, vocabulary has to, be gone. has to be gone. Yes. Yes. Because as you are wanting to reach young families, trying new things, some things will be a great fit and they'll really work and they'll work for your families and they'll work for your community. Some things won't, and that's okay. Um, but you've got to be willing to try new things to reach this generation of young families. Mm -hmm. um, because remember, we've already talked about the culture has changed. Yes. Um, and so, you know, guest families may not know what VBS means or what sword drills are or RAs and GAs and what that is. Mm -hmm. And those are all great things. They but are. You have to know who you're ministering to and communicate them and to them in a way that they will understand. Right. There's always that possibility to be able to use those materials, but maybe just make sure that you're communicating them in a way that everybody can understand what you're doing. Because like you said, those conversations, the vacation Bible school, who Lottie Moon is, like all of these kinds of things are not just second nature to a lot mm -hmm. of people that are just coming into church for the first time. And it does make them feel like they're missing something or they don't mm -hmm. understand something or they're not, you know, so we want to make sure that we're clear in the way that we're expressing what we're doing. But also, like you said, not have that fear of like, we've always done this. So we have to mm -hmm. keep doing this because mm -hmm. things are not written in stone. Your ministry doesn't have to be done one certain way. You want to look at your community yeah. and your families and meet them where they are. And one of the things that um, Francis Chan said that I've always thought was just so interesting is he said that our greatest fear should not be a failure mm. but of succeeding at the things in life that doesn't really matter. Mm. And I think that that's what we need to really realize is that it doesn't our, our biggest fear should not be mm -hmm. that Bible school doesn't go well or that the yeah. you know that this, this is not perfect. We need right. to be sure that we're doing the things that really matter. And so that has to become the most important focus, more so than tradition or what we've always done. And so for our third um, and kind of final section, we're really going to drill down on kids today. Um, research that we've seen with kids of today um, you know, trends that we're seeing, um, 
just what, what we're seeing with kids today. So um, today's children are what's called Generation Alpha. Um, so like coming after Z, starting over with Alpha in the Greek alphabet. Um, so these are kids, depending on who you ask. And so again, all of these sort of generational lines are always a little fuzzy, depending on who you ask. Yeah. Um, and so in general, Gen Alpha is kids who were born from 2010 to present. Some people say we should start at 2015 because of the COVID pandemic. Um, anyway, we're just going to stick with 2010 to present. So kids who are 13, possibly 14 years old and younger. Um, and so, again, this is a growing field and we'll gain more insights as more reach, more research comes out. But from what we know today, um, Generation Alpha is the most um, ethnically and racially diverse generation that we have seen in the United States. Um, and so we may have subconscious expectations or assumptions about parents and home lives and how things work at home, but that may not reflect the reality of the kids and families that we minister to as they become more diverse, as um, we have more families, you know, moving into the United States from other countries or maybe second generation, um, you know, born into just cultures that are just different than ours. Right. Um, you know, because there are all sorts of cultures all over the world. Um, and so our kids today are just growing up more culturally diverse than in yeah. generations past. And so, right. you know, we may have ideas about how things work at home, how their home lives are, you know, how parents interact with kids that just mm -hmm. may not reflect these kids' realities because, right. you know, they are coming from just a different place culturally. Right. Well, and because of social media and their mm -hmm. access to video and, you know, information from all around the world, they're more culturally aware, too, of, of things more so than any other generation that we've had. So exactly. And kids are growing up with technology embedded into their lives. Oh, yeah. And so we've been talking about this for years, starting with Gen Z. Um mm -hmm. And this is sort of an interesting anecdote that I don't necessarily have like a research statistic on. Um, <laughs> but, you know, us millennials grew up with, you know, huge, you know, off-white colored desktop computers. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so we entered the workforce computer literate. Right. But today, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, they're growing up with smartphones and tablets. Oh, and so yeah. one of the things that we're seeing with some of these oldest Gen Z kids as they're young adults, as they are entering the workforce is that they don't always have the computer skills that millennials had even um, because they don't necessarily work on computers as often anymore. They're mostly using tablets and cell phones and things like that. Right. Yeah, and we were so, talking with our granddaughters about that not too long ago, because just them typing on a keyboard, they're used mm. to typing you know, with their, thumb. with their thumbs. And so they're, they don't have that typing skill that we had as we were growing up because we were working with computers all the time. So yeah, yeah it's interesting. Yeah. And so, so growing up with technology, we're seeing isn't always translating into real world or workforce skills. Right. Um, and then also growing up with technology and growing up so seemingly interconnected doesn't always translate into interconnectedness and strong relationships. Yeah. 
just kind of like what you're saying, we know what's going on in the world around us. We know about every natural disaster and storm and everything that's going on anywhere in the world, but it doesn't necessarily, technology doesn't necessarily help us build, doesn't automatically help us build strong relationships. No. no. Like what we would think of in interconnectedness. Right. Right. Well, and they don't, I know with our youngest granddaughter, she often, she loves to play video games, but to get her to play a board game with this is a lot harder because she's just, her mind is so wired with being online more so than actually being around us, you know, in, in playing a game together with people. So it is just a difference in the way that they are coming up because that's their world. It's the way Mm -hmm. things are structured for them. And so we have to really be conscious and mindful of how we help them integrate into uh, relationships and community. Absolutely. And then also taking a huge hit to relationships and community, um, the COVID pandemic, um, which has been um, just a hallmark of these kids' lives. I had um, a, it was an intern, a college age intern um, say to me, she said, COVID is to my generation what 9-11 is to your generation. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's good. I don't know if she thought of that by herself, but I thought that's really insightful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, I think COVID is even more, has an even more profound impact it than does. 9-11. Because, you know, of course, for my generation, 9-11 happening, like the world was different from one day to the next. Right. But if you didn't see it, you know, you saw it at airports, you saw it if right. you're you know, crossing the border. Right. Whereas with COVID-19, for the kids who live through that and experience that as children, mm-hmm. their whole world changed mm-hmm. for months and years on end right. in really profound ways. Well, and just, just when you think about it, like, for example, for me, I didn't personally lose anyone that I knew on 9-11. I I didn't have anyone that I knew that was on a plane or in a building personally, but I lost several people that I knew personally through the pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. I think that it, because it's so not just affected what we would see on TV and these certain portions of our lives, but it, it really affected every single, you know, the pandemic changed a lot about everything in the way that we live. And it is so easy for us to just want to say it's, you know, let's just, I can't think about it anymore. I don't want to think about it anymore, but we really do have to think about the impact that it has made on our families and on our children. And and you also have to think too, that, you know, if you experience the COVID pandemic as, you know, a 40 year old and you experience, you know, two years of life disruption as an adult, Um, and then, you know, you get back to your life. That's a really relatively small portion of your lived experience. If two out of 40 years was pandemic, right. Right. But if you experience the pandemic as a six year old, right. And, you know, whenever you're eight, you finally sort of get back to quote unquote normal. That's one quarter of your life. That would be like as a 40 year old, if you went through a 10 year pandemic, right. Right. And so the magnitude of that impact is so much greater because it is a larger portion, a larger mm-hmm. percentage of kids life lived experience. You know, right. if you're if you're going through this from ages six to eight, then 
of what you can remember, you know, a third of your life has been in this, you know, state of fear and upheaval and tension. And so all of that has really profound impacts on kids like physical brains Mm -hmm. and the development of their brains. Um, You know, we know that um, trauma has a really profound effects on brain development. Um, And so, you know, COVID changed so much and was a scary time for many kids. Mm -hmm. We also know that during lockdowns, there's been statistics to show that um, incidences of child abuse, child neglect were on the rise Mm -hmm. as kids were just physically in their homes more. Mm -hmm. And so many kids are coming out of this COVID pandemic, out of this season Mm -hmm. of their lives with brains that have been shaped by fear, trauma, uncertainty, um, and and not that that you know our brains are plastic. Our brains grow right. and change throughout our lifetime. Right. You know this is not a an ongoing you know life sentence, but we have to understand that some of these behavioral issues, which we're seeing a lot of them, mm-hmm. are due to the traumas and the impacts that kids have gone through in recent years, how it has shaped their brains, um, how some of these kids just live in fight or flight all the time. Right. And so we see some of that reactivity coming out in their behaviors, um, not because they're trying to be bad, not because they want to be bad, but because their little brains have been so profoundly affected by what they have experienced in recent years. And we just see the ripple effects of that continuing. Well, not only emotionally, but also academically, we're beginning to see now a lot of studies where education is changed because they Mm -hmm. lost a huge chunk of what they would typically have learned throughout a couple of years Mm-hmm. And so now they're not prepared to be able to do the academic work that they're moving into because they lost a little bit of their foundation. So even schools are having to look at what are we teaching that we've always taught in certain ages that we need to change because mm-hmm. they didn't get the certain foundation during these two years. And so we have to look at that, I think, in our programs at church as well you know, where they have lost some of that foundation, we need to make sure that we are being sensitive to the fact Mm -hmm. that they might not be where you might typically see a child of that age be not only emotionally, but also academically. And that can Mm -hmm. affect their behavior in a classroom as well. Yes, yes. And we have a wonderful um, interview with Robert and Lori Crosby with their resources about trauma-informed children's ministry. And they have just some wonderful resources. And again, we'll have a link to it as well. Some wonderful resources for constructively helping kids and continuing to effectively minister to them even whenever we are seeing these big, difficult behaviors. And so in addition to the upheaval of COVID and all the profound effects that we continue to see from that, going back to the very start of the episode, the cultural base that these kids are starting out with is so different than what we have had in previous generations. Um, And so just recognizing that 
that these kids really are growing up in a profoundly different world than what any adult grew up with. Um, being aware of that, being sensitive to that, um, and letting that understanding form the way that we minister to kids. And so as we minister to kids, um, one recommendation that I feel like I keep seeing over and over and over in different resources is um, essentially creating a relationships first model of ministry. Because again, we talk about kids are, you know, steeped in technology, but that doesn't mean that they have strong relationships. No. Mm -mm. And so approaching ministry from a very, very relational model. Mm -hmm. You see this in Flip the Script is a great book about ministry to Gen Alpha. Um, when you see Fireflies, Janine McNally, um, even in, again, mentioning Robert and Lori Crosby, their trauma-informed right. children's ministry. Right. Um, all of these things call us back to having very relational ministries that are yeah. built on kids feeling seen and known and loved right. for who they are. I think we went through, churches went through a season of um, really strong focus on production value, yes. on fun, on, um, you know, uh, just production value. And, right. and obviously we want to do things well to honor the well, Lord. Obviously. But I think we're still, we're seeing this sort of shift to... Ministry needs to be relational foremost mm -hmm. before anything else. Because right. um, I think Generation Alpha values authenticity yeah. and they are really going to embody probably more than any living generation, the mantra right. that they don't care what you know until you, until they know that you care. Right. Until they know right. that you care about them, are invested in them. Um, are committed to them. And so a, a relational model of ministry, I think, is what's going to be the most effective and most important for this generation. Well, and that's one of the things that you've heard us say before, and you're going to hear us say again, because there are some foundational concepts in education that are just always going to be true. Mm -hmm. And one of them is that you have to have relationship to be able to learn, because if mm -hmm. you don't trust the person that you are learning from, if you have mm -hmm. not built that relationship where you have faith in what they're saying and you believe what they're saying, then it's harder yes. to learn from them because yeah. you're going to question more about, you know, can I trust this person? And so we have to show our kids that not only are we speaking truth because God's word is true. But would they have to know that we care about them? And that's why we're sharing that with them. And so it's just one of those foundational concepts that are just, that's just always going to be true. Yep. You know, the better your relationship is with the kids, the more effective your teaching is going to be. So hopefully um, that's, this has been a helpful look into the future of the church, um, Gen Alpha, the future of continuing ministry to, to this particular generation of children. Um, and, and so hopefully this has been just helpful and insightful for you. Um, again, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, <laughs> uh, but I think there's some good research out there and just useful data out there that can help us as we 
try to effectively reach and minister to kids and families today. For sure. For sure. And we just, as always, are so grateful that you spent time with us today. And we do hope that this was helpful and encouraging. Uh, I think our, our message in this is, is exactly what Virginia was saying at the beginning. There is hope in our ministry mm -hmm. and in what God can do through the Holy Spirit and through us in the work that we do with our families. And so we, we want to stay positive and hopeful, but we do need to be aware of what's happening culturally around us. And so hopefully we've given you some things to think about. If you have any questions, anything that we talked about, anything that we said that, that maybe sparked some interest in some other areas, please don't hesitate to let us know. We would love your questions. We would love to know what you are concerned with, what you are thinking about because our heart is as always that we just want to meet you where you are. We thank you for the opportunity. Uh, we, we would love it if you could like and subscribe and all the things and just uh, please let us know how we can minister to you more. Um, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.